You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 14 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. Got another good one for you today. Um, got the chance to sit down with GB Olympian, current BBL star, uh, Kieran Achara. Um, Scotland's finest, and we sat down for about an hour and spoke about his career, um, how he first got into basketball, uh, you know, his, the early stages of his development, and kind of the journey that he's been on. There was so much to talk about um, that we ba- we barely scratched the surface, and as you'll hear in the interview, uh, he's agreed to do a part two, which we're going to try and arrange in the next few weeks. Um, because in this episode we pretty much got as far as his college career before he had to dash off um, and speaking a little bit about GB as well. But uh, but yeah, there was there was so many interesting things to take to take away from it, and I think it, it's one that uh, will be very popular with a lot of people. So yeah, have a listen. Uh, as always, I would love to hear your thoughts. Going to try and uh, ramp up these podcasts over the next few months in the summer. Um, so yeah, any feedback, any suggestions for guests. Uh, any questions you would like to see posed, do let me know. I'm always contactable. My email address is sam at hoopsfix.com or you can find me on all the social media profiles at hoopsfix. Uh, making a big push on Snapchat recently. Uh, so make sure you add us on there. And uh, yeah, have a listen. And I'll leave you here with me and Kieran. Well, welcome to another episode of the Hoopsfix podcast. And we are uh, absolutely delighted to be joined by GB Olympian, um, Kieran Achara. Kieran, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So, obviously, like we've just been saying, um, this is a little bit of a longer form interview uh, to give people a bit more of an insight into your, into your career. Um, and you're going to have to forgive me a little bit. I've, I've tried to do research as much as I can. Um, but as you know, with British basketball, it's not as simple as always just doing a Google search and finding all the information you want. Huh. Um, so let's, let's rewind right back to the start. Uh, at what age did you first pick up a basketball and what was it that, that made you first start playing? Well, I started basketball, I was about 15 years old, 14, 15, uh, and it was just pretty much trying it for the school team. Uh, there was a, a, a guy who played for the club I played for, a Falkirk Fury called Neil Connell, who was like a sixth year in, in high school and he was taking the school team, so he asked me to come along, obviously being, being tall. I, I enjoyed it at PE, so I, I tried it for the team. We went on and won the Scottish Cup that year. Uh, then I went for like regional trials with the, the Scotland team and went from there and I just fell in love with the game. I wasn't that good. I'm a little bit better now, but uh, <laughs> I, it, it was just, I just loved the, the competition and the, the fact that, you know, it was, a, it was such a dynamic game that I picked it up pretty quickly and, and went from there. What, what would you say um, was the state of uh, Scottish basketball back then when you were coming through? Was it was it a big thing that was in the in the mind of a lot of people, or, or was it kind of like a very small minority sport? A very small minority sport, and I was very fortunate. Uh, like I said, I had uh, Neil Connell. His dad was actually a coach, uh, George Connell, uh, and they linked with the Falkirk Fury. And the Falkirk Fury was made up of pretty much it was Keith Bunyan at the time, uh, who was like my role model in basketball. His dad was the coach because Keith went on to play for Glasgow or the Edinburgh Rocks at the time. And it just went uh, fast-paced. So I think the team was literally uh, built around Keith and his love for the game and his dad took on 
and it went from there and we grew from strength to strength. But I was in a region that basketball wasn't taken that seriously. When you went to somewhere like maybe in Edinburgh, it was a little bit more historical, like Borough Muir, back, going back to like Bill McInnes and so forth. Yeah. But growing up in Stirling, where I was, it was like basketball was really non-existent. So to see how far it's come, I mean, when I first started shooting, I was shooting into a bin at a park, which is two foot off the ground. Yeah. They're very flat shot when I first started playing, because that, that was the only thing I, I really shot the ball into. So it was, it was, you know, it happened so fast. I mean, I was very fortunate that I was six foot four. <laughs> when, when you look at, uh, when you look at basketball in Sterling now, what would you say, you know, I'm a complete outsider to, to Scottish basketball. You mm-hmm. know, I obviously, try to have a rough, vague idea of what's going on. Um, but I've never been to Scotland, uh, so I'm not going to lie and try and act like I'm all educated yeah. and whatever else. So, you know, if you if you look at basketball now um, in Stirling where you grew up and compare it to what it was like when you were growing up, what would you say are the biggest differences? Well, for now, we've got we've actually got a club in Stirling, uh, Stirling Knights, has over, you know, 400, 400 members in the club. And, um, you know, Falkirk Fury have still went on to produce the likes of Ali Fraser with Falkirk Fury, Johnny Bunyan, Falkirk Fury. We've got a young kid, Fraser Malcolm, Falkirk Fury. Uh, then we had Mary Buckin, who went on to Old Dominion. She was from Falkirk Fury. So Falkirk, uh, historically, has, has, has produced players. Now Sterling has you know, started their own basketball programme and it's, it's, it's grown. But the thing for me, the biggest thing I've, I've noticed is it's the, the desire. So we grew up in... The, the, I had this love for the game and I, 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 like, I fell in love with the game and then when I went over to America for a camp, the five-star camp, I fell in love with the opportunity to get a scholarship. Education was my driver and I, I didn't even know anything about scholarships. Like I, I said, when I got offered scholarships from Duquesne, I was also getting offered scholarships from Davidson and the coach is asking me, uh, like when I signed at Duquesne, was like, do you not want to go to the big dance? Uh, and I was saying, to my mum, like, why would I want to go to a dance? Like, I, 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 I literally knew nothing about basketball. Yeah. So now the kids in Sterling, there's there's a, a select few who are who are wanting to reach those kind of heights, but they just don't know how. So you know they're practicing more, they're having, they're playing the game more, but it's it's still kind of recreational, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And there's a select few that who want to to strive for more, but they just don't know how. And that that's where I feel that. You know, especially in Scotland at the moment in time, I don't think enough people know that there is opportunities more than just playing national league in Scotland or you know playing uh, you know for your school team. You can actually go and make a living from that, and I, I don't think enough parents and 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 uh, players know that, and that's why I don't think the drive is the same as in some places in England at this moment in time, where I think kids now like they're looking to go to like the Barking Abbeys and so forth because they know they can go on and. Get, you know, get D1 scholarships in the States and go and get an education paid for and, you know, play at, play at a professional level. What, um, when you look back on sort of Scottish basketball history, you know, obviously the obvious guy in my mind that stands out is, is Robert Archibald. Yeah. Um, who are the other sort of bigger names that have come out and had successful professional careers that kind of locally, uh, they're the guys that people talk about? Well, for, for going back, I mean, going way back when, there's a guy, uh, Bill McInnes, who, you yeah. know, uh, it was a phenomenal player. You know, people still talk about Bill. Uh, Ian McLean Bull uh, was a you know was a legend uh, back in the day. But kind of like our generation, a little bit older, it was kind of like 
it's really the guys who went on and played a little bit, like in the BBL, like a Keith Bunyan or a Stuart Mackay. Uh, there was Ronnie Gordon. So we, we talk about those guys more, uh, just kind of the, the local guys. We haven't actually aimed for this kind of, you know, the, 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 you know, we could be like Robert Archibald or be like the Kian Acharas. I think we're more kind of set on, uh, like the, the kind of local playing for the B, playing in the BBL. It's just now that I think that we're back. There's the likes of, you know, the Gareth Murrays, Ali Fraser and myself who've all played a little bit in Europe now. Mm-hmm. That now it's starting to kind of catch, catch on like, oh wow, we can, we can do something here. And so you played for Falkirk Fury and then you ended up going to Middlesbrough, right? Yes. So how did that move come about? Well, I actually went to Spain first. I went to Malaga. Oh, really? Uh, a lot of people don't know about that. Actually, I played in a small nations tournament in, um, uh, I can't remember, was it Andorra, I think it was at the time. Okay. And a referee there had said to me, uh, wow, you've got some talent. Uh, I, I know a friend who's coaching in, in, in Spain. Would you be interested in going and trying out? So I went for a trial uh, in, in Paris, actually, uh, just an individual trial, and they offered me a contract um, to go to uh, play in Malaga. And I knew nothing, about, like, again, I knew nothing about basketball. So and this I is went, when you were how old, 17, 18? I was 17. Okay. So I went to Malaga. Uh, I went from practicing, you know, two to three times a week to now practicing twice a day. Right, and you know, I, I was in the team with like sort of Fran Vasquez and stuff. Uh, okay, back at Malaga now, he was in the junior team with me. Uh, we had a guy, Donya Abrams, who was on the first team, and he he was talking to me about uh, you know, am I looking forward to the season and all the rest of it? And he pretty much told me that, um, yeah, he found out I was only seventeen. And he was like, "Why are you not going to the states, man? Go go to the states, have you know, have some fun, get your education. You can always come back to that." And actually, you know, my, my grand was really pushing for me to go to university. So, uh, you know, after a few weeks, I, I literally said to the coach, I don't want to sign, I want to, I want to leave. And that didn't go down too well. Oh, I right, literally right. got kicked, kicked out in the streets. <laughs> and you know, I was thankful because my mother had talked to Tony Hansen before at uh, Teesside Mohawks. And so I phoned up Tony. I was like, look, is there a way... <laughs> I can come play for you guys because I've got I've got nothing, <laughs> uh, and you know got my flights to to Teesside and that was me in Middlesbrough. So it was it was it was very fortunate. I, I I don't even know how Tony had 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 heard of me or whatever. It just by pure pure luck I ended up there, and I was very thankful for ending up in in Middlesbrough and actually getting to taste a little bit more about British basketball as well. Yeah, I um, so like I said to you before we jumped to this call, I, I I made some quick phone calls um, beforehand. I spoke to Marlon Henry, who oh man, we're going to talk about me getting dunked on at Battle of the Boards. Yeah, he actually did. This is going. Do you know what? He, he didn't mention that in the phone call, but I got a text message as soon as I got the phone going. Oh, we played in Battle of the Boards. Ask him about when Pierre, Pierre Henry Fontaine dunked on him. First play of the game, man. That was oh, it was disgusting. <laughs> but that was that was an eye opener for me because. You know, in Scotland, I was the tall kid averaging 42 points a game or whatever it was, uh, to then, you know, going to, to England and competing. And it was just a whole different level. Like, really? you know, 
uh, and Dougie is my coach, yeah. uh, Paul Douglas, great I guy. Him. I just spoke to him as well. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was he was phenomenal, but they they kind of brought a little bit of swag to the game. That's what I like to call it. You know, I was very structured in, in Scotland and uh, with uh, Dougie and like of Creon, uh, phenomenal coach, uh, Tony Hansen as a mentor. They really helped me, and then. Obviously, the London guys always talking talking uh, trash as the as the, as the, the, the practices. I had to try and adjust to that, but that was that was really interesting. We had a very strong team, and it was a, a real eye opener. And I think I learned so much about just to learn how how to compete. Uh, I think in Middlesbrough it showed me how to compete every single day and bringing your A game. Did Did you find uh, Middlesbrough was more of an eye opener than than Spain? Uh, yes. Because in in Spain it was I think Spain for me it was the work ethic I understood that I needed to to really up my game about how how to practice get my practice habits right all the technical technical side of side of the game that's what I was I was learning in Spain but at the same time in Spain I was so unhappy at the time uh, like homesick and missing everything that uh, I, I didn't even get time to actually take it all in it was only later on in, uh, later on in my career that I was like oh wow. I actually learned so much in Spain, yeah. but when I was in Middlesbrough, it was all about you know Dougie had uh, a lot of faith in us as, as players, and he just gave us that freedom to play. But at the same time, with my teammates, the teammates I had, we had to bring it every single day. No one would let up, mm. you know. And it was so funny because it was like we had the Birmingham and we had the London, and then we had the couple of Scottish guys. <laughs> and it's like you know, it was always Birmingham versus London, and then we had to just choose sides. And I mean, they would just go at it every single day, and you know that was that's when I realised just how how athletic some people can be. Because in Scotland, you know, an, an alley-oop was thrown up and slapping backboards, you know, with two hands, uh, you know, like a double pump, and then all of a sudden you've got guys like Williams and Mopey like, through the legs and yeah. cramming it on everybody. It was just it was a real eye opener. That was, you know, I, I obviously I grew up in Eastbourne on the southeast coast, which is you know middle of nowhere. And uh, it was exactly the same thing where, you know, we considered a power play when you go and do a layup and you slap the backboard. Yeah. No one could dunk. And then when I come to London, I was just like, this is just ridiculous. This is another world. You know, just everybody and their, and their grandma can, can get up and dunk. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, when I, when I spoke to Dougie just before this conversation, he actually said that um, you were a uh, an underrated athlete. And he said that you were just used to playing... Uh, below the rim because you never really need to play above the rim um, and uh, and he just said that your shot blocking timing was always impeccable you know um, and I was going to ask like where do you think that that come from do you think that's a sort of natural instinct or do you think that's something you've worked on I I think my sh- my shot block that's what I was always remembered for and I, even going back to like going back to when I my first year or my second year I went to the five star camp and in and, and Pittsburgh and that's essentially how I ended up going to Duquesne University because I, I went to Pittsburgh for this five-star camp, uh, I was very fortunate to have the Prince's Trust uh, give me some uh, money to actually be able to attend. Mm. And I went to this camp, and I, like I said, I knew nothing about basketball, but shot blocking just came so naturally to me. It was just well, obviously I've got the long arms, but my timing was always was always great, and I was I was known as the the shot blocker. That's how people referred to me. That soon changed to, to the Scottish shot blocker, but. Uh, <laughs> Back then, it was just a shot blocker, and you know I won MVP at the camp, and it was solely based on my defense. Really? So, and was the, was the five star camp that you went to? Was that when you were at Middlesbrough still? 
that was before. That was when I was 16. So I went to the five-star camp first, and that's when I first heard about scholarships. I'd planned on going to America, and that, I knew Middlesbrough could have been a pathway for me to achieve that. But then the, pro, the professional offer came in, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old, and I'm like, I'm getting you know, some crazy figures thrown at me, or what I thought was crazy at the time. Mm. Coming from where I was coming from, I was thinking, I, you know, I can. <laughs> my mum would never have to look after me again. I could, I could look after her, you know. Yeah. And that's how I was thinking at the time. But it was my gran that was really pushing me. She wanted me to go to university, so I think that was playing in the back of my mind that when that Donya Abrams told me that, you know, I could always come back to this. I was thinking, okay, let's get my education first, and you know, hopefully get back and play in a league like that one day. So when did you start receiving interest from colleges? Uh, so five-star, after the five-star camp. So when you were 16 still? So I was 16 going on 17. That's when I, I, I was I started to receive letters. And then I, when I actually, after the 17, then I went to Middlesbrough, Tony Hansen got me a lot more exposure. That's when Davidson came to Middlesbrough to visit me. Duquesne came to Middlesbrough to visit me. Uh, I was getting letters from you know Iowa State. Uh, you know, I got a couple letters from UConn. I think that was because of Tony Hansen. But even those little things, it was just, it was kind of like, wow, wow, wow. Like, and again, I knew nothing about basketball. Yeah. Like, I, absolutely nothing. I knew that typical British guy. I know Harlem Globetrotters and Chicago Bulls. That was it. <laughs> that, was my, that was my basketball IQ. So how how, how did you come? Like, because you went you went to prep school first, right? Prep school first. So I'd, I'd signed with Duquesne and Duquesne asked me if I wanted to uh, come in redshirt mm-hmm. uh, or try out for preps, uh, go to a prep school first. And after getting dunked on at Battle of the Boards and stuff, I was thinking, you know, maybe maybe prep school would be a better option. It kind of eased me into it a little bit better and I would use a, uh, lose a year of eligibility. So that's when I ended up going to Maine Central Institute. Okay, and how, and how how did you find the transition from? Because I, w- I would assume that you know the the step from Scotland to Spain to then UK, the UK, then the step from UK to prep school. There must have been a significant jump again then, or, or difference <laughs> in the physicality and athleticism and kind of. And yes, again, we had from our prep school, we had twelve guys go Division One. Oh really? So I mean, every practice we had scouts at our game. It was just ridiculous. Were but, you playing with any big names that had gone? So, we had big names at the time, but looking back at it, like we had a guy called Marquise Cately who went to Caleb Berkeley, okay. um, who was Pac, you know, Pac-10 Rookie of the Year, but he didn't get the grades his uh, second year. We had a guy called Raquelin Sims who went to Kentucky. He got kicked out of Kentucky. <laughs> uh, you know, we had uh, a kid went to Tulane University, so. When I was when I first got immersed into that culture, it was all about. It was very strange for me because now they were talking about the best players and the top 100 players in the US. So I couldn't join in that conversation because again, I knew nothing about basketball. Mm. And then who was better, Tupac or Biggie? Because we had <laughs> half the guys were from the West Coast, half from the East, and I just really didn't care. So I was like, it was just, it was even hard for me to adapt to that kind of. You know, obviously I learned as I as I progressed. I also, one of my good teammates, Mike Tuck, we went to prep school together. Okay, who's now who's now Mike Tuck in the BBL, Mike Tuck? Yes. Oh, wow. So he was one of my teammates there too, and you know he went to Loyola, Maryland, uh, was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, unbelievable athlete. Uh, but that, that, again, that transition was very, very, very 
it was an eye opener. I, I would say for the first month at um, prep school, I was just watching practice pretty much to see some of the things the guys could do. Like Marquis Kately was like six foot four. I mean, strong as an ox with a forty inch vertical. And I remember first playing. I you know I told you I was known, known as a shot blocker. One of my first training sessions, he goes baseline on me, goes chest to chest, dunks, dunks on me, and says, "Welcome to America." <laughs> you know, and that was the kind of thing. That was the kind of, and I, I feel that Middlesbrough actually prepared me for that in the sense that I was still not at that standard, but the competing every single day was that. You know, I learned that in Middlesbrough. Mm. So then I then brought that to um, to America. And, I, okay, I, I wasn't on the starting five by in the first half of the year, second half of the year. I improved so much that I was I was now starting and, and playing big minutes and one of the, the key players in the team. So I, I guess that was always with me. And, and culturally, how did you find the US? The US, I found it hard at the start because I think... People in London don't have this problem, but we have it in Scotland. <laughs> We're very humble, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I feel that Americans they had this confidence that it's just it shines through everything. So they they might not be the best shooters, but they believe they are, and they'll they'll shoot 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 shoot, and they'll miss every shot, and then they'll make one big shot that could win the game for them, and that. In Scotland, we, we're, we're a little bit more tentative. We're, it's, we're very humble and, uh, you know, okay, it's okay, you can shoot the ball. Like, we don't, we're not very demanding. And that's what I always said that we, if, if you were ever to get a Scottish guy in a, in a, in a, in a session and they were, you were fighting for a position, I think it would always be harder for the Scottish, Scottish guy to make that because they're, they're more willing to take a, a back seat and share the ball and do what they have to do. Mm. Like, well, Someone in the states would definitely just seize the moment and say, "Like, okay, this is my time to shine," you know. And I, 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 that's something I'm actually trying to work on players right now because I think culturally that's just how we are. We don't have that kind of, and you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I go working with the guys from South London. They they can do everything, you know. Even if they can't, they believe they can, and yeah. that's just, that's just something they have, and they have that kind of confidence and that drive. That's what I need. I feel that a lot of our players lack, and that we need to work on. So I found that hard, that adjustment hard. And then, what about off the court in terms of like food and, and living? And you know, obviously, I, I sense that also generally the Scottish people I've met are much more um, homebodies, if, if that's the right word. You Very know? much so. Very uh, so. Yeah. Like, how did you find that? I, again, I think Middlesbrough helped me with that transition. Mm. Uh, but then um, I was also saying that. I was kind of throwing a curveball because I, I went to, to Pittsburgh and, you know, I, I fell in love with Pittsburgh. You know, it was, it was the summer when I went, beautiful sunshine, nice skyscrapers, women with nice teeth. You know, it was it was everything you could ask for. And then I ended up in Maine and I'm, I am take a walk the first day and I'm asking where downtown is. And they said, you just walk through it. And it was like a, a petrol station and one little shop. Yeah. So it was just like, whoa, like I'm in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of nowhere. Like for fun at the weekend, we would go to Walmart, <laughs> you know, and I, I actually watched an interview with Katino Mobley. He went to my prep school and um, 
he was saying the worst experience of his life was being in Maine, like in the middle of nowhere. Really? <laughs> but he said it also helped his basketball because that's all you had to do. Yeah. So I, I, I felt that that was completely different because it was, you know, if you say the, the adjustment to the States, it really, I mean, you could end up, you know, in the middle of nowhere or you can end up in a big city and it's completely night and day. So I felt that uh, for me, being in uh, Pittsfield, Maine, it was really, really tough. And I, in fact, I actually left as soon as the season finished um, to come home for a few months because I, I'd already signed for, I'd already had my grades, uh, done my SAT, so I was already ready for university. So I phoned up my, my university and said, look, I'm going home. Uh, and I went home and just worked out and got ready. And then I went to Duquesne for the for summer school and got a head start on my education. What made you decide to go to Duquesne? Pittsburgh. That was it. So it was in Pittsburgh. I, I liked Pittsburgh. They offered me. Uh, I knew it was a smaller school. Uh, it had, you know, it had a great business school. So I was thinking, you know, that's why I wanted to study at university because at this moment in time, my driver was still university. It wasn't about going there to become a professional. Did you think you had any shot at a professional career at that point? Uh, you know what? People had said it, uh, but it was it was more in the back of my mind. Uh, as I as I progressed, like the my first year in university, I was the most improved player the second year, and I just kept going from strength to strength. And then you know, got my junior year, and I had you know NBA teams even coming to watch me. Uh, uh, that was it. Then I realised that wow. And then the Olympics got announced and I knew my best chance of making the Olympic team had been a professional basketball player so that's why I think essentially that's why I stuck with it Did you obviously you said you know Pittsburgh was the reason you went to Duquesne was it always that's where you were going to go like did you did you visit anywhere else did you look at other places I literally didn't and I, I mean I signed so early and that's what I was saying and Coach McKillop came out to Middlesbrough, and he said, "Like, why are you signing with Duquesne? Like, you know, come and have a look at Davidson." And I was just like, "No, my mind was made up. They were the first ones who kind of offered me anything." Yeah. And I was, I felt like loyal to Duquesne, and I, I, again, I, I knew nothing about you know conferences or uh, you know playing in this and playing in that. Like, it, it, that wasn't for me. I saw the education, get a good degree, and it was a, a place I knew and I liked. So, what was your when you went, when you got onto campus? What was it like? You know, you obviously grew up in Scotland, playing on a bin. You know, and you've been around, and, and then you're there at this place, which you know has got incredible facilities. You've got access to a gym twenty four seven. What was that like for you? It was. It was honestly. It was just. I, I was so happy. Not only that, like uh, I met a, there was a guy from Middlesbrough who got a scholarship for the football team or soccer team. And he was a, his parents were from Scotland, so we became friends straight away. So I had kind of like a friend, someone I knew, on campus, and then all of a sudden we're getting all these this attention for being a basketball player. <laughs> and then obviously I've got my accent, and it was just I was I was that was me. I was home now. I was so relaxed. How, was, uh, I was, you know, how, how do you think that you managed it to? Uh, keep a hold of your accent because I'm telling you now there are guys that have gone to college this season that I've Bro. seen since they've come back so they've only been out there you you go know, for a week <laughs> and literally they've already got a bit of a twang 
and and there are other guys like yourself. There's a few. There's a few other guys. Justin Robinson, you know, who spent incredible amount of time out there, who are still 100% kept their their original accent. Do you think it's a choice? I, I really don't know. Like, I think if you ever see me, if you ever go on YouTube, there's some interviews I do in, like, in university and stuff, and I sound completely different. Really? So I think I, I used to just adapt. It was kind of like learning a language, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but when, I, when I, I come home, I always used to go and try and do it a little bit thicker just in case. My yeah. friends were going to make fun of me for getting a little bit of an accent. But sometimes, there's some words I sometimes say that sound a little bit, oh, like, like slow, slow down, Kian. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really don't know. And back then, it wasn't like we had FaceTime or anything either. So it was like I used to write letters to my mum and my family. So it was. It's it incredible was to think how things have changed, even since then. I mean, we're not even talking that long ago, but uh, you know, the difference now for kids coming through, where you can send videotape online to, to coaches and whatever else, and they don't need to come and see you physically. And it's unreal. Letters. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Um, unreal, and that's what I'm saying. Like even things you're, you're talking about social media. Yeah. Like when I first, you know, it was like my junior year. That's kind of like when Facebook kind of started to make it big. Yeah. And but now it's like people use it as a platform to actually get jobs. You know, it's that's <laughs> yeah. pretty it's pretty unique. So at, at Duquesne. Um, you know, you mentioned that you were getting a bit of attention and stuff. Was it like you were a bit of a celebrity on campus? Like, what was the attention like? Hundred percent. That was that was it. Like, it was like it was it was honestly my first year. I actually, still had a, a girlfriend from from Middlesbrough, so I didn't get to take advantage of it. <laughs> but it was just it was mind blowing. Really? You know, and I, I used to laugh at my friend because when he was in Middlesbrough with the football team. He got so much attention all the time, yeah. and it was like role reversal because when we went out there, they, they were still nationally ranked, but they never got nowhere near the attention we got. Really? And what were your average crowds like? So we at Duquesne wasn't great crowds. I mean, we had like three thousand. Okay. Uh, when we played like Pittsburgh and stuff, obviously it was the big games, the big city games, and they were like, like the big team up the road. We, you know, they had twenty thousand fans at their games, and yeah. But uh, it was just, again, like playing in front of crowds, you know, in our conference, we had like Sir Xavier, St. Joe's, that year St. Joe's had like Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, uh, who were just absolute beasts. And then you had, you know, Xavier, my friend who's playing at Barcelona, Justin Dolman, uh, some great, you know, Marty Collins was at uh, Temple, but the talent was it was frightening and it was just it was so fun to be a part of and again that's what I'm saying I get yeah, I went to a whole different level when I started playing with the likes of those players so I was thinking to myself like if I'd gotten immersed in that at a younger age could I have went how far could I have could, could I have went you know mm. and I, and I, again that's the thing I, I talk about young players in Scotland and young players in the UK you can go two ways you can get kind of caught up in being the man and on your team and averaging this, that and the next thing. Or you can go somewhere, not be the best, but work to be. Mm. And some people just don't like that. And and then others, you know, take advantage of it. So I was saying that from a from a we have to be just more competitive and and that's what I say in Middlesbrough I learned to compete. If we can get that infrastructure down, then it's just putting them into that pool with the, these better players and I, and I know players will, will reach a, a, a whole different level. When you look back at your college career now, what would you say was the highlight? 
highlight for me, uh, well, I mean, I had two different coaches. Um, the highlight for me, I would have to say, we, we had a big win against Boston College uh, when they were nationally ranked. And that was after the real tough year. I don't know if you you know ever been told about their the, the mass shooting at my yeah. university. Um, you know, we we overcame a lot and to then go on and play with like you know, we, we played with all our walk ons, we, we we had we didn't have a full team and we could we still came up with some big wins. Uh that was that was a phenomenal feat. So I I think that for me also getting my getting my degree. That's what was my driving force from from day one, and actually uh, getting my degree and uh, you know being an academic student athlete of the year two years running uh, in the conference that meant a lot to me. Do you, that education side of things that that you know is is that come from the emphasis from your family growing up? So uh, you know what I was never pressured or anything, but you know no one had my, my family had went to university, and it was kind of. Kind of a strange thing, you know, when you go somewhere, like none of my friends went to university. Most most p- people in my neighbourhood, they let, leave school at 16, they go and get an apprenticeship or whatever, you know, go into court, whatever it need be. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it was like, okay, no one does this, I'm going to do it. And yeah, you're right, my grand really wanted me to be the first in the family, so I think that was in the back of my mind. But I knew I had that kind of belief, and I wasn't the best in school. Like I wasn't great in school, but I worked hard for my grades, and I, I felt that that's taught me a lot. So I, I think that once my mind was made up, uh, uh, that was kind of driving me. And so then, when when you were at Duquesne, you obviously said that uh, during that time was when we won the Olympic bid, and you know the thoughts of London to 2012 um, started coming to mind. Is that is that right? Yeah. And yeah. so when did GB first, like when did you first hear from someone from GB and what, so who I was it and what was that conversation? It had been 2000, it was before the Florida camp, so was that 2007 maybe? You know uh, when we went to IMG? Yeah, I, 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 know what year, I know what you're talking about, I don't know which year it was, I'm bad right. at dates. So we, we, I got a letter from Ron Rutella. Okay. I, I think it was because Ron actually went to Duquesne. He oh, was really? the, he was a team manager there, or uh, head of operations or something. Um, so I think he had a link with Duquesne because of that. And I got this list about getting sent out to this IMG, and then I looked up and it was like, you know, players like Pops, Nessa Bonds, and Pops was in my conference, so we kind of played against each other a lot. And when, uh, you, were, when, you, when, you, when he was in your conference back then, did you know he was from England? Did you have that connection or whatever, or were you just... He was just I, another guy, another team. I did, uh, but we never spoke. Okay. He actually hated me, and and you'll <laughs> talk to about this because he was told by his coach that I tried to make him ineligible or something. <laughs> what? Because he played some tournament in London, and that's what he was told. And I said, "No offense, pops." Like he told me this later on. I said, "I didn't even know who you were or about any tournament, so this was never me." Speaking. Yeah. I said that maybe your coach was using his motivation or whatever, but. I mean, the guy hated me. Like, he wouldn't even speak to me. So when we got the when we got the the bid, and we, he found out I was going as well, that was the first time he ever spoke to me. And he, he we, we'd finished playing them, and they beat us like they always did. And um, he said, "I guess I'll be seeing you at camp." And that was the first time he even had sh- 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 shook hands. Wow. And then later on, he told me that story about what happened. And I, I mean, I laugh at it now, but it was just like. 
I mean, he dumped on me so bad my freshman year as well. I really? think that anger was there. <laughs> but, uh, so that was kind of like uh, an eye because I was like, oh, well, I'm playing again. And then I saw like Luol Deng and stuff was going to be there and, you know, Rob Archibald. And I'd never actually met Rob Archibald. Oh, so wow. I, I was really excited to meet Rob because obviously he was a, a Scottish legend and he, you know, when we went to Florida, I was so thankful that he took me under his wing and gave me a lot of pointers and he helped me so much along the way. Uh, those guys were great to be with and, you know, it was, it was my first camp. I didn't play as good as I would have, I would have hoped. I got asked to be a reserve, but we were actually going to, uh, Canada with the, with my, my university team early, so I decided to go back to university instead of just being in the reserve. But right. again, it was an eye opener. And was this when you were in your jun- going into your senior year? Pardon? Was this when you were going into your senior year of college? Was my senior year, yeah. <laughs> right. So having guys like Andrew Betts, uh, you know Archibald, uh, those guys, the, the bigs especially, they took me under the wing, and I learned so much from them. And then obviously meeting Lou all for the first time and uh, getting to they practice with the likes of Pops and it was just, it was great. And I I, I, I kind of look at that, you know, as myself. Okay, I know maybe I haven't achieved some of the things the other guys have achieved, but I know that I know the game. And that's why I'm very vocal with the younger guys because I, I believe that like likes of Archibald and Betts and stuff, they really helped with my development so much. So I think if I can, you know, say a few things, give a, a bit of advice here and there, mm. I can help the younger guys make that next step, you know, and, that, and that's what it's all about, you know, it's all about giving back and making sure the next generation is going to be better than the first, you know. And from, from that first camp, did, was that kind of like where the bonds were formed and then from that point on, did you stay in touch with a lot of the guys? For sure, for sure, especially like, so like Nick George, Midgley, uh, they were like the younger guys with me and, uh, I know, Eric Boateng, uh, I made some really good friends there and, Again, Lou All, uh, he was very, very accommodating. That's why I actually uh, was very fortunate. The year after, I went out to Chicago and worked out with those guys before I went pro. Uh, I, actually, I actually read a, one of the newspaper articles that I did find was saying that you had um, worked out in Chicago with Lou All and then they potentially gave you a spot on the summer league team, which then didn't end up happening or something like that? Yeah, it was very unfortunate. So what happened is that was the year Del Negro... Was it the coach? Vinny Danegro. And he decided to take the summer league team. You know, head coaches don't usually take the summer league team. Yeah. So uh, all the players decided to play in it. So there was like Aaron Gray, uh, Noah, uh, Tyrus Thomas, I think it was at the time. Uh, they all decided to play. So I was literally just being not, I wouldn't have played a single single second. So oh. it, was just, it was one of those decisions. So, even getting to work out there and, and, and play like some pickup and train with the likes of the wall. Like, you know, I, I knew I was working really, really hard and getting better and getting better each year. But when I seen what he, he was doing in the summers compared to what I was doing, again, I knew I had to raise my game. Uh, you know, my training had a whole different level. And I guess for a lot of guys, even now, you know, I was talking about the Scottish, the Scottish players, we don't see what hard work looks like mm. and working smart looks like. I would love if like a typical week was filmed from some of these NBA guys and shown to some of our younger players yeah. because it's, it's complete eye-opener. Because when I ask guys in the gym, you know, what are you done to? Oh, I've been in the gym. I've been in the gym for two hours. I've shot, you know, 500 shots. 
were they good shots? Were, they, <laughs> were, yeah. were you going at game speed? Were you doing this? Were you doing that? Like it's you know we don't work smart, you know, and we're, we we can work so much harder. And I I think it's not that we're we're lazy. It's just that we don't know. So actually seeing that that kind of opened my eyes again to a whole different level. And I think I improved that summer uh, the most going into my first professional year. I, I think that was my best year for improvement and confidence. Because you'd seen the levels of the work ethic and whatever else that you need to put yes. in to improve. And when you're working out in the summer, you realise they're, they're human beings as well. And, uh, you know, it's all, it's everything they've got is they've worked for it. You know, it's not just that it's, they're just, we wake up one day and they're just superstar athletes. You know, it's, it's work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a vicious cycle, isn't it? That, you know, in the UK now, and you, you've got a, a talented young kid coming through, the pathway is pretty much you get out of the country as soon as possible, right? Which is almost what you just said earlier, is that, you know, if you had left younger and you had, a, you know, exposure to that level of competition, mm-hmm. you would have improved so much more and stuff. But as even though that might be better for the individual player, the, then the downside of that is that then the next kid coming through doesn't see that, that good player that's come through and kind of has the measuring stick of what a good player is because he's left and then, you know, never to be seen again until they come back however many years later. And, um, and I totally agree with that. And that's why I think that, you know, I'm, I'm you know, looking into the future. Um, like right now, like I said, if I had certain kids and they were saying, what should I do? Should I stay and play in Scotland or play in England or get an opportunity to go to Spain or, you know, the States? Don't get me wrong. You can go to the States and come back a worse player. You, you know, oh, it, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, you know, people sometimes are a little bit blinded and think this, that, and the next thing. I think that some some academies in in in, in the UK are, are getting to that point that they they're starting to see what hard work looks like. They're getting the coaches in place, and you can actually improve. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the things that's changed even in the in the period of time that I've been covering this sport kind of in depth is now there are guys. Well, there are a lot of guys. And in fact, the majority of guys that go to college are actually making the jump directly from the UK rather than doing, when I first started sort of covering exactly. it in 2009, they were going to prep school for a year or going to high school where they needed, felt they needed to get the exposure. Where now it's getting to a point where like guys are good enough to make the jump directly from the UK. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, that's, and that's great for those guys. But then again, it, it's like, well, the guys that are then still here, that level of competition from 18 to 21, when all our best guys are in the US college system or have gone to Europe or whatever else is... Yeah. So this is where I this is where I, I see and I, you know, I talk with the you know British basketball and so forth about strengthening our our, our professional league and I, you know you've touched on this many times those guys our, our, our players could go away and even if they go for four or five years to universities high schools and so forth but they were coming back to play in a professional league here uh, that it was at a standard that you know they can they, they're you know getting uh, fair pay. Uh, they're not having to worry about you know their next meal, this that, and the next thing. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel that that's where we can be the big impact. So right now I'm doing a lot of school visits and a lot of this and a lot of that. I can share my story and how I ended up back in Scotland. But I've played so many years in Europe. If I if I just had been you know coming fresh out of university and, and been able to compete in in the British league, of course I would have I've wanted that opportunity. If the league was at a certain standard, and you're you're right. It's getting to that standard. It's getting to how do we how do we upskill our coaches? How do we upskill our players? How do we get the budgets? You know, that's all the questions I've been asked uh, recently, and it's it's a different it's a different story completely. Yeah, and I I feel you know 
I'm I'm looking I'm looking staying positive, staying positive. But I still I still haven't got the answers. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that's the thing, you know, and that's the conversation I have with so many people is that you know, we can all sit around here and we can all identify the issues. It's obvious what the problems are, but actually yeah. coming up with a solution which isn't going to cost millions and millions of pounds that we don't have um, to then sort it out is, is a completely different thing. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting. Obviously, the BBF released their, their new vision document, um, which, again, it, it lays out all the problems. It lays out all the stuff that we kind of already know. And what they're working on now, which hopefully they said that we'll see before Christmas um, by using these sort of working groups, is, is the... The implementation, the tactics, the actual how we're going to get to this. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that's always been that's, missing. That's, that's going to be the most interesting thing, yeah. And that's the thing, I, you know, I've, I've had the, the talks about the... I, you know, I look at Spain as a, as a great example, getting to play in Spain. I was very fortunate uh, seeing what they've done because it's obviously, you know, they've obviously got the Spanish League, which is a phenomenal league and you can make, you know, millions and that's kind of a driver. But I was... I go back to their kind of regional teams and then they go on and the players can play for, you know, a participation level and recreational level or they can, if they, the players who have that talent who want more, they've got the pathways through the, the professional teams and uh, they can start young and still go to school and so forth. I would love to see the British League have junior programmes, mm. but not just to tick boxes yep. and to say, Alright, we've got a junior program. I mean, actually have investments into junior programs and junior setups for that. And then what you will find is you'll have players, okay, excelling and going to other leagues, but you'll still have a, a, a good few coming up and playing in the BBL. Yeah. And you can actually measure their work. So my thing is, like you're saying, we don't have the role models per se in the country. It's a, it's a little bit harder to get the role model to show what the work ethic looks like. But if you have the coaches, Coaches can train that work ethic. Mm. So if I had a if I had a coach back then who just knew exactly how to push someone, how to you know, I would then know, you know. So I think our coaches have to be looked at, and and we've got some good coaches now, and you can see the the better coaches, their players are excelling a lot quicker. Yeah, and so, I, I should have said it, I should have said in the introduction um, that you obviously you obviously took on a role with Basketball Scotland a year and a year just over a year ago was it? Yeah. Um, as the regional club development officer for the East region. Yeah. Uh, and so I assume part of that is working out the pathway, helping clubs develop, and you know, can you talk a little bit about kind of that role and what you've been doing? Yes. Yeah, so, well, that role is is more from a community standpoint. So okay, uh, I'm, it's not really performance based, but obviously. I've got this kind of, you know, uh, a biasness towards uh, performance because I I personally believe that in Scotland we have players who can excel and play at a higher level, hundred percent. You know, and just uh, so with with my job, it's it's all about trying to help clubs develop. It's pretty much get them in, a, you know, getting the right funding. Uh, now we're we're trying to push to get more professional staff, so they're not just volunteers. There's actually some paid coaches or paid, you know, uh, development officers within within inside their inside their clubs through different uh, funding schemes. And and the big thing right now is for me is just you know player pathways and making sure they're trying to link with you know specific universities and high schools because I really believe that high schools is the key to success especially in Scotland at the moment because facilities are so hard to come by. 
So if you can go into a school and you're working with a school and you they've got facilities, they, they can train in their lunch times, they can train before school, that's a big you know, that's a big help. You know, right now we have a, a an initiative called the School of Basketball, which is a community scheme uh through cashback funding. Uh and it's just allowing kids to get an extra three hours of basketball within their curriculum. And even from that, and these kids are not performance kids, they're not like necessarily going to go on and play basketball, but these school teams are excelling in basketball in Scotland because they're playing extra three hours a week. Mm. You know, so that just shows you that you know, t- you know, talk about time and task. It's just getting the right uh, amount of time. And you know, deep down, ideally, I would love to have my own type of facility and you know, be able to have kids come in and train in the mornings and do this and do that. And I know that it, it exists in the UK because. I look at swimming culture, for example. Swimmers in, uh, are up 5.30 in the morning. They train before school. They go to school. They train after school. Weekends are competing. So, so it does exist. It's just that it doesn't exist in basketball culture in, in Scotland. Like We don't have as many kids getting up before school and training or you know going in at lunchtime or... But again, they don't know. They don't know any better. Mm. They think someone's working on a performance basketball facility at the moment, aren't they? Pardon? Isn't there a performance basketball facility being built? So yes, we've, we're going to. We've got here at Watt University. There's the the performance centre, and again, that would be it's based in Edinburgh. Okay. Uh, but that will be for national teams, national team use, uh, which is great. But like I said, I want to be able to have kids just. You know, who maybe not even at the national team level just yet, and who are just wanting to get up and get better, you know, and actually see it and and see what hard work is, and have parents buy into it, and parents believe that okay, if my kid works really hard, they can they can go on and get a great you know get a scholarship, get this, get that. I think we have a lot of apathy towards our sport because they don't see it as a as a pathway to any type of success in life. And there is a lot of success out there with basketball. It's funny that, you know, I, I feel like in the years that I've been covering the sport, Basketball Scotland has taken huge strides forward compared to Basketball and Basketball Wales. Um, and it just seems like there's constant progression, you know, whether it's the facility, whether it's the WBL mm. team this year, whether it's defining the pathway in the national teams and, and whatever else. Why do you think that is? Where do you think that's come from? Because it really seems to have accelerated over the last few years. I think it's a gift and a curse because obviously we, 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 they're working, I mean, the work that goes on at Basketball Scotland is phenomenal. You know, when you, when you first think about governing bodies, it used to be all this bad mouth and this and bad, and they do, they do nothing. I have realized they work extremely hard. You know, we work extremely hard. Uh, and, uh, sorry, that's my daughter running crazy. <laughs> no problem. Uh, we, we work. Work extremely hard, <laughs> Adeline. Sorry. She wants to be on the podcast. She's nuts. Say hello. 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 It's Adeline. Is it Adeline? Adeline. Adeline. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, he's a scary man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem um, at all. Yeah, they work. I mean, extremely hard, and you know we, we we put so much work. But the gift is, I think, because we're such a small 
small community. So we're we're only dealing with, you know, I think we've got 8,000 members at the moment. Uh, uh, when you're dealing with that, you know, it's, it's easier to kind of centralise a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong, we've got a long way to go, but we realise that as well. So the ego is taken away and they're working towards bettering themselves. So it's very easy to be defensive and say, oh, make excuses and say, we don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have the same amount of funding, we don't have the same amount of this. But, okay, what do we have and what can we work with? So we control the controllables. So I think Kevin Pringle especially is doing a great job with that, of just saying, like, okay, we don't have everything that's not ideal, we're not perfect, but we're working towards that. And I think once the ego is taken away, it's easier to, 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 to go on. I think in England there's just so many different entities yeah. dealing with that it makes it a little bit more difficult. And, you know, it still exists in Scotland, but, you know, it's, 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 it's on a smaller scale. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of time, so I, there's, a, there's a couple of things. That, you know what, before I do carry on, would you be willing to do a part two at some point? Because I feel like we, we've barely even scratched the surface of, of your professional career and everything else. You know how much I talk, so I'm, I'm happy to I'm <laughs> okay. happy to do a part two. Awesome. So, so be, bearing that in mind, uh, all I want to talk about was, was obviously GB and kind of, uh, you know, you've been involved from 2007-ish um, all the way to now. What would you say kind of, you know, I think that it's obvious that things haven't necessarily gone as planned. Um, mm. You know, 2012 for me was the opportunity to really blow this thing up and make it work. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it hasn't happened. Um, from, from your standpoint as a player who's been working closely with the, with the program you know, for however many years, where would you say it's gone wrong? Well, I, I, I look at two areas. So first, I, I think about legacy. All right. Uh, so looking at legacy, I felt that if we, we should have done a better job having more British coaches and the younger coaches working alongside their, their coaching staff, um, learning a little bit more about, you know, to take the program on after it was after 2012. Yep. I also feel that we, we kind of threw money at the program and we didn't get the, the buy-in the same. So it's hard to uh, try to explain this. So for, for me playing for Scotland, you don't get paid, you don't get this, you don't get that. People are just, they just want to come represent their country. And, you know, there's guys that work in Nando's, there's guys that do this kind of, we're not professional guys, but they're just proud to play for the country. With GB, we could have got that, but we never went down that route. I think it was kind of like, okay, the money wasn't the, the, the carrot, the carrot was the Olympics. Yep. So it's like, oh, you can come play for GB and be in the Olympic team, the Olympic this, Olympic that. Well, really, we, we shouldn't have been basing it around the Olympics. We should have been basing it around playing for GB yeah, and what yeah. that actually means. And I think that culture wasn't created. So it was more run like a business. And I think that national teams should be run like businesses. It should be run more with the passion and the pride. I think that's what Spurs players on helps them do that, you know, make that sacrifice, come to do this, come to do that. So, so now what happened was, if it conflicted with this or conflicted with that, I'm not taking, I'm not doing GB, you know. Well, you get the buy-in from like likes of guys in, you know, France. You look at Tony Parker and stuff. Does he need to play for his national team to prove himself? No, he's coming and representing his country. He's proud to play for his country. He's with his group of friends. They all meet up. They've been playing from a young age, which GB didn't have. Because you even look at the GB squad, 
how many guys even actually played for an England team? Mm. Or played for, you know, or played for, you know, uh, not, not very many. Yeah. So that culture wasn't there. We, we, we didn't create that. We didn't work on that. I think that should have been worked on more. And that's why I'm really happy now with, you know, with the, if, you know they had the under-20s in the future. At least that culture started to be created a little bit. You know, and now it's, it's guys who want to play for their country and, and represent their country. I think that over everything, it needs to be addressed. And that's, I think that culture needs to be there. That's the only way we can go forward because if we don't have that, we'll just continue to run like a business and it'll be just, okay, how can I use GB uh, to, to help me or how can I do this, how can I do that, you know? How, how do you create that culture? That's obviously, a, you know, it's a difficult so, thing to do. It's, it's a difficult thing to do, but again... But the first thing I'd be looking at, like it's kind of like you know the futures programs, uh, but run it in a different way. So I would also have like you could even create regional teams right now and have them come come together. So at least you feel part of something. Mm. Like I know what it was like being cut. Right when you get when you get cut from the GB team, it's not not a nice feeling. But you might I might not have heard anything for the next eight months, really nine months. So you don't feel a part of anything. You know, it was just like throw you to the curb, and then when we need you again, and then six months time, we'll give you a call. And that and that's how it was ran. And you know what? If the Olympics weren't there, I'm sure a lot of guys who'd been cut or whatever before wouldn't have, wouldn't even went back. Yeah, you, you have to feel part of something. Like I think those you know having this, if you had little regional camps or like sometimes a phone calls can be enough. You know, yeah. just like how are you getting on? You know, what can we do for you? Like like I said, and this is where it's easier when people are back in the country. Because, say, for example, now I have the use of the physio from, you know, a physio and we get the trainers and all the rest of it through the Institute of Sport. All right? That that means they, they, they value me, they believe in me, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're buying into me. Mm. You know, you feel, then you feel indebted to their country. Oh, you're, they're helping me. Yeah. How can I help them as well? Yeah. But, when you have that kind of disconnect, it was like, okay, you're replaceable, you're replaceable. I think that we, we didn't do a, a good enough a job on that. And that's, I can only say that in hindsight. I didn't see that as it went on because I was blinded. But now looking back, if I was to do it all over again with the same amount of funding, I would have made sure I had at least some British young coaches learning, getting the CPD, getting the training they needed. I would have had more younger players coming in. I would have done the, the Futures programme a little bit better and, and I would have had more regional teams so more people feel a part of GB. Like It's not like, okay, you're in the, you're in the list of 20, you're, you're GB and the, you guys are not, you're not GB. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. If you're not at that level, you're working towards it and they're helping you work towards that to make it more competitive. And um, Don't worry, we're going to wrap up soon. And G, uh, GB this summer, are you planning on suiting up? Definitely. Excellent. And have you had conversations with other guys? Do you know who else is going to be shooting up? I'm actually really looking, really excited for it. Uh, I felt that I was disappointed last year because of the way, you know, how everything was for me. It was like just off a plane from my honeymoon, not really in good shape, and tried to play in a couple of exhibition games. I want to make sure that I'm I'm right where I need to be, and I'm really excited to be working with some of the guys, uh, some of the younger guys, and seeing some old familiar faces. Do you know who else is likely to be suiting up? I absolutely have been kept out in the dark and aka I'm not telling you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some guys, you know, some guys, uh, some young, 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 fresh faces. And But like, all I know right now is the guys who will be there, they want to be there. Yeah. For sure. 
Perfect. I think that is a, a perfect place to leave it. I'm aware, aware of your time. Um, I would love to do a part two because, like I said, Not a problem. we have Not barely problem. scratched the surface. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much, Kieran, for taking the time. It's really appreciated. And this has been a, an amazing conversation that I think will provide a lot of insight for people. All right. Cheers. Talk to you soon. All right. Cheers, Kieran. All right, bye. Bye. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.